It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, we are going to have a very special Line of Fire broadcast today. It's one of those broadcasts I do every so often where I spend our entire time together teaching through the scriptures or teaching on a particular subject. So I'm not taking any calls. I'm not responding to Facebook comments or YouTube comments or things like that. If there's earth-shattering breaking news, we're not covering it today. This is a special teaching broadcast on Israel's divine healer, on divine healing. I want to explain why I believe these things today. Let me say a few things up front. You may love the Lord with all your heart and be sick. You may be intimate with the Lord and be sick. You may have a wonderful godly family and have a handicapped child. I do not mean for a split second that only those who are physically healthy are blessed And that if you are sick, that you are therefore, you must be in sin or lacking in faith or God doesn't love you. I'm not saying that. I don't believe that. And I want to be clear. There are times when we sin and that leads to sickness. There are times when we do not walk in faith and do not believe God and are not healed. But I would never, ever, ever imply for a split second that if you're sick or if you have a long-term handicap or disease, or someone in your family died prematurely, that they or you must be in sin or unbelief. No, certainly not. And some of the godliest people I've met in my life are people who have chronic debilitating conditions, and they were not healed. Why they're not healed, I don't know. But I want to lay that out plainly. My theology, however, is not based on experience, but based on Scripture, as much as I can see and do. And I say that because I've challenged myself in this issue over and over and over again. If I built a theology based on experience, I would say sometimes God does incredible miracles of healing, absolutely mind-boggling miracles of healing. And if we really press in for healing and believe for healing, that we'll see more people healed as we pray for them, But the majority of the people we pray for won't get healed. And the vast majority of people we pray for with cancer won't get healed. If if I based my theology on experience, I'd come up with something like that. And someone else who sees a lot more sick people healed would have a different theology. And someone else who almost never sees anyone healed would have a different theology. I spoke with a fine pastor one time, a leading respected pastor, who said at his church, because of the teaching of James Jacob, the fifth chapter, they regularly anoint the sick and pray for the sick, but very rarely ever see anyone healed. Based on that, you conclude that divine healing is not for today? Then what about the scripture? So I want to do my best to be inductive, to go through the word. And here's my brief little history. I've done this before, but not for some years. And I know so many of you are listeners who've not been with us over the years. And even those who've been with us through the years, a little refresher isn't bad. 
So I was saved in a Pentecostal church, which be, meant we believed in praying for the sick, and we heard that God did miracles, and, and in the 40s and 50s, the great healing revival, we heard about that. Some of the folks witnessed miracles then. I myself was, was powerfully touched by God and healed of, of hives in, basically instantly after having it for weeks and being tormented by it. But then other things I prayed for wasn't healed. I remember seeing some amazing, some amazing things. I mean, really amazing. One of the most outstanding was, was a guy that we were witnessing to and trying to lead to the Lord, a rough, tough kind of guy, you know, partying guy in our high school. And he had just started to come to faith. I don't know if he was ever a true convert. Only God knows. But he was over at our house, and he's, oh, I still I think of it. It's one of those things you get the chills. He scraped his, his hand on it. It was an open piece of wood, and it was his thumb, and there was this giant gash. I mean, I mean, it was big. It was a chunk of flesh that came out. Like, oh, gosh. And he was brand new. We just prayed and saw him the next day, and there was nothing. There was no gash. There, he was, We were all like amazed. This, no gash, no cut, no scar, no sign of it. It was, it was wild. But then, you know, prayed for other things and didn't see them happen and, and you know, prayed for people to be healed of different things, and they weren't healed, and I, I couldn't quite figure it out. And then I got very skeptical of some of my Pentecostal charismatic background that I thought it's really not sophisticated and the best scholars don't believe these things. And I was leaning towards Calvinism and the, the Calvinists didn't believe these things, the ones I was learning from. And, and I, I tried to get away from my Pentecostal charismatic roots for a number of years. And I, I couldn't ultimately deny that scripture taught that tongues was for today, prophecy was for today. I said, I don't, I don't, what we're seeing, these Christian uh, televangelists, I don't believe any of this stuff. And the slain of the spirit, I don't believe any of this stuff. And I prayed for people in the past had seen them fall under God's power. But now I questioned it all. I said, what does it prove anyway? And, and, and I said, look, if you read the Bible, God smites people more than he heals people. So I, I question all that. I know there's something for today, but I don't know what. Yeah, and I know I do speak in tongues and it's real, but I'm questioning all this other stuff. And then God got hold of me. Uh, the fire of God fell in my life again with a fresh passion for the Lord that I hadn't had in years. So as I was as I was getting my PhD in Near Eastern languages and literatures at New York University, and what happened was I uh, just started to study the Word fresh. God got hold of me, really shook me. And that's when I began to question, okay, I've become a Calvinist. I'm a staunch Calvinist. Is, is that really what Scripture teaches? I began to question that. And then as the Holy Spirit was being poured out in our church and lives were being dramatically changed, this was a non-Pentecostal church. They were being dramatically changed and gifts of the Spirit were being manifest. It was, it was like a dream. It was amazing. And some amazing prophetic words and insights. And Wow, stuff's really happening. And then people started getting healed. Now, I don't mean getting out of wheelchairs. Someone who was you know, born uh, handicapped and couldn't walk, and now they jumped out of a wheelchair. We didn't see that. But we saw some other healings that were, were pretty dramatic. I mean, people had conditions for many years that were supposed to be incurable, and they were healed. And then they would share, yeah, well, by his stripes, I'm healed. And I thought, well, no, no, that's, that's not what the text means. Isaiah 53 is talking about spiritual healing, not physical healing. You're misusing the text. And then someone else said, yeah, I just believe God because healing's in the atonement. And I thought, no, healing's not in the atonement. It's wrong. So I, I thought, but they're being healed. Are they being healed based on wrong theology, but right faith? So at that point, I was working on my doctoral dissertation. I was in the early stages of it, and it was a linguistic study called Abbreviated Verbal Idioms in the Hebrew Bible, a Comparative Semitic Approach. I don't need to explain to you any further. <laughs> Dull enough, right? And I didn't even know that God want me to finish my PhD at that point. So I put everything down for nine months. I prayed, I sought the Lord, I fasted, and then God laid it on my heart. Pick up your scholarship, but not as an idol, because it had become an idol in my life. Pick it up as a tool, not an idol. 
So I went back to studying afresh, and I was on my knees one day with my Hebrew concordance open, looking at the 60-some verbal occurrences of the Hebrew root rafa, and, and, and then there's some nominal occurrences. The, the word is a noun as well. And I began to see, whoa, whoa, rafa, heal. It means more than heal. It means make whole. It means restore. It's, there's, it's a bigger meaning. When God says, I'm the Lord, your, your healer, there's something more to this. And I began to think, because I'd learned some other Semitic languages, and I began to think of how the word was used in, in Arabic and Ethiopic, which is the South Semitic languages. And I, I thought, okay, there's more here. I thought, why don't I write my doctoral dissertation on this? Remember, it was going to be philological. It was going to be based on the words and the meanings and the grammar and, and linguistics. It wasn't going to be theological. But why don't I just look? Because I had so many questions. I just want to know what the scripture says. So that's how I got into this whole subject. So two intensive years, I worked on my doctoral dissertation. The title is, I'm the Lord, your healer a philological study of the root Rafa in the Hebrew Bible and the ancient Near East. And I went through the various ancient Near Eastern languages, Akkadian and Ugaritic and so on. Does this root occur in Aramaic and Syriac? Does Rafa mean to heal in these languages and so on? Went through all this, studied every relevant verse in the Hebrew Bible. And in the midst of this, confirmed even more in believing for the gifts and power of the Spirit for today. And, and even in the midst of this, seeing some pretty dramatic healings of people. What do I mean? Well, yeah, I remember one time uh, asked to pray for a baby that had severe food allergies and the, the parents were kind of at their wits end because of all the foods they couldn't give their child. And I laid hands on the baby. The baby was instantly healed. I saw them many months later. They said from that moment on, the child was instantly healed. I remember another girl, she was two years old. She almost drowned in a pool, and she came out, she came out mute. She had just been blabbing and talking like crazy before that. And it was a year later, she still didn't utter a word. The doctors didn't understand what the problem was. I told the parents, I'm telling you, it's demonic. It's a spirit of fear. It's demonic. And we, we prayed over the family and took authority over this, this spirit. And the, the girl wasn't even there when we did it. Just like sometimes in the Gospels, Jesus spoke the word and someone else was set free. Prayed over the parents. The power of God touched them. They got home. She was talking perfectly. And after a year without a sound. That coincidence? She didn't even know what was going on. She's a three-year-old girl. And, and then I remember another guy that had gotten in a bad motorcycle accident because of which one of his legs was substantially shorter than the other. And he had a limp when he walked and, uh, and his wife would have to tailor his pants because she had a you know, hem, one, one pant leg. And I remember I prayed for him one night and the, the spirit of God fell upon him. And I remember he, he fell to the ground and just kind of froze in an awkward position. And he got up seemingly stunned maybe a half hour later. Only to tell me, the local guy, I knew him, only to tell me the whole story days later, his leg was perfectly normal, healed after that. And, and how the pants had to be undone because the hem was, was too short. I, I saw God do some amazing things and other things. You know, I prayed for someone with cancer and they died. And, you know, we, we fought and prayed and another guy in the school was deaf and never saw him heal. But man, we were, we were seeing God move. Things were happening. And I knew, okay, there's got to be more. But the biggest thing to me was I was convinced based on scripture. Then about eight years later, I decided I'm going to do a fresh study on this. I feel led and prompted to do a fresh study and not just focus on Raphael, but go Genesis to Revelation, every single verse in the Bible having anything to do with sickness or healing. In fact, I still have the Bible that I, I speed read through it and highlight it in, in yellow, every verse. So just take one of those old highlighters and highlighted every single verse in the Bible that had anything to do with sickness or healing. 
any statement, any anecdote, anything whatsoever, any law, anything whatsoever, highlighted it. And then out of that, wrote the book Israel's Divine Healer. I believe it remains the most comprehensive book of its kind in terms of an academic study of God the Healer in the Old Testament. And then one whole chapter we focus in brief on the new. And my views after that were even more clear and more dogmatic and more certain. Now, since then, I put out a 16-tape series. I guess it's 24 hours of teaching on Israel's Divine Healer that goes along with the book. The, the teaching is very easy. Anybody can follow that along. It's preaching, teaching, clearly going through the scriptures. It's, it's on our website in our, in our bookstore at Ask Dr. Brown. And then the book, Israel's Divine Healer, which is a scholarly monograph. It's not for everybody. It is scholarly. It is detailed. And I took about 20% of my doctoral dissertation and put the results into that in the study of the Hebrew. When we come back, I want to open up to you what I have discovered. The Word says, that's my big issue, what does the Bible say about divine healing? We'll take that up on the other side of the break. God of light. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, I've shared with you my personal journey and how divine healing has become so important to me over the years. I am not a healing evangelist. I do not have the gift of healing. Uh, Praying for the sick is not a major part of what I do, but hey, I've had people very close to me very sick, I, people I love very sick, people that I've met in these life and death conditions. So just compassion, compassion says this is important. Forget theology for a moment. Compassion says it's important, but theology also says it's important. So here's my overview of what I believe in terms of divine healing. And my overview, I'm going to take a few, a few minutes and get into this. All right. At creation, book of Genesis, Paradise, the garden, there's no, there's no sickness, there's no death, right? After the fall, sin enters into the world and death by sin, as Paul tells us in Romans 5. And with that, the curse, and with that sickness, human beings don't have access to the tree of life, Genesis 3. We get old, we die, we get sick. Even godly people in this world die. Everybody dies, all right? And not only so, sickness is just part of the human race. So you may get sick. It's got nothing to do with personal sin, rebellion. It's just, it's in the air, so to say. All right. Now, when you go through the Old Testament, without exception, sickness in and of itself is never spoken of as a good thing. Sickness in and of itself is a bad thing. And I don't think any of us would argue with that. Do you ever have a big day ahead of you? a major talk you have to do, a big thing with the kids, a birthday to celebrate, and you wake up really sick and think, oh, good, I'm sick. Oh, this is awesome. Do, do, you, do you pray over a couple at their marriage and say, oh, God, we pray you bless them with years of sickness, and we pray, oh, God, that the babies they have will be sick? No, God forbid. In and of itself, we all agree sickness in and of itself is a bad thing. God can work through it. God can teach us things through it. People can get sanctified through it. I understand God can work through all kinds of things. But sickness in and of itself is a bad thing, is a negative thing, and it's part of being in a fallen world. But now, when God begins to deal with Israel on a covenantal level, 
We have one example of healing and the first occurrence of Rapha to heal is in Genesis, the 20th chapter, when uh, Abram, Abraham prays for Abimelech and his household because God had stopped up their, the woman's wounds and the man couldn't have children. So he prays and there's healing. But otherwise, we now start to get into the theology of it, beginning in Exodus 15, 26. When God, after making the bitter water sweet at Marah, when God says, now if you listen to me carefully, diligently keep my commandments, then all the diseases I put on Egypt, I won't put on you because I'm the Lord, you're a healer. Number one, when he references the diseases, what did he put on Egypt? All kinds of plagues, not just physical diseases. So diseases, plagues, it's broader. So he says, I'm your healer. I'm not going to put those plagues on you. I'm not going to put those diseases on you. So if you'll obey me as a nation, you'll be healed and healthy. There it is, laid out, categorically. Has Israel ever lived up to that as a nation? No, of course not. But that was the covenant. Then you get to Exodus, the 23rd chapter, verses 25 and 26, and God reiterates that. As we worship him, he'll bless our food and drink and take sickness out of our midst. There'll be no miscarrying, and everyone will live a full lifespan. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, the same thing is said again. Same thing again, that as we obey the Lord, destroy the idols in our midst and things like that, that he'll bless us, that he'll take sickness out of our midst, just as he said next to this 23, just as he said next to this 15, and that there'd be no miscarrying and, and barrenness among our cattle or among our people. And then in Deuteronomy 28, among the blessings, uh, excuse me, the curses for disobedience are severe sickness and disease, terrible sickness and disease. So when you look at the Torah, healing and health are covenant blessings. Severe sickness and disease are covenant curses. There's no ambiguity. There's no real question about that. And again, look at Exodus 15, 26. Look at Exodus 23, verses 25 and 26. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. And, and trust me, friends, I teach this all day. I mean, I got it in my head during my doctoral dissertation, all the research, and I've taught it since. So I look up at the references, you'll see. And there's no question it's talking about physical, literal issues there. Okay, now you go on in Israel's history. Uh, you get to the book of Psalms, and you see the psalmist is often sick and crying out, Psalm 6, Psalm 30, Psalm 41, for example, and, and Psalm 38. And he's often confessing sin with sickness. Why? Because he knows something is terribly wrong. Why is something terribly wrong? Because I sinned. That's not saying every time you're sick, you're sinning. No, no, no. But there are times when the psalmist knew I'm terribly sick because I've sinned. That's why they would say, heal me for I've sinned. What's the full sentence? Heal me from sick. I'm sick because I've sinned. Heal me for I've sinned, right? And, and again, sickness, a bad thing. Healing, a good thing. Healing, a gift from God. Hence, when we get to Psalm 103, David praises the Lord who does what? Forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. You say, well, he's talking to his soul. It just means me. Just means me. He doesn't only mean spiritual maladies. It's the whole man wholly healed. When you get to Proverbs, Proverbs has some amazing statements about healing. And, and some of them you could say understand the relationship between the mind and the body. But for example, Proverbs 3, 7 and 8 tell us that if, if we'll not be wise in our own sight, if we'll fear the Lord and depart from evil, that will be healing to our body and to our very bones. It'll be a tonic to our bones. Proverbs 4, 20 to 22, tell us wonderfully there that if we'll hold on to the words of God, not let them out of our sight, that those words will be healing to our whole flesh and life to our bodies. That's what it says. And you have other verses about, about healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. You say, well, it could just be spiritual, metaphorical. Could be, but the, 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 
references in Proverbs about physical healing, like Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 4, are, are definite physical healing references. That's what they're referring to. Then when you get to the vision of the prophets, you discover that the vision of the prophets is that one day the whole person will be wholly healed. That the, the great restoration that God will bring is a nation that is forgiven and a nation that is healed. Now, here are a few little concepts that opened up for me during my intensive study of what the Bible said about healing. One concept is this. How literal was the smiting? That's how literal the healing had to be. What do I mean? If God said to Israel, I will destroy the temple in my wrath, but in my mercy I will rebuild it. Well, that did not mean a spiritual temple. It meant a literal temple. If he said, I will scatter you in my anger, and my mercy regather you, that didn't mean a spiritual regathering. It meant a physical regathering. If he said, I will smite you with sickness and disease in my anger and will heal you in my mercy, that meant a literal healing. So how literal was the smiting of Israel? Israel was scattered. Israel was decimated. Israel was financially broken. The temple was destroyed. Men, women, and children died. Sickness, disease. Okay, so what will the restoration look like? And what I realized when I was looking at a passage like Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, I could not simply say, oh, Isaiah 53, that's spiritual healing only. That would not be true to the concept of the prophets. If you were forgiven of your sins, you'd be healed of your diseases. Isaiah 33, 24 tells us that plainly, for example, where, where the prophet says that no one dwelling in, the, in the, the future city of Jerusalem, no one dwelling there will be sick because everyone's sins will be forgiven. Again, Old Testament concepts. So when you read in Jeremiah in chapters 30 through 33, these wonderful passages about restoration, and I'll bring you back and I'll heal your wounds. On the one hand, it's speaking metaphorically. On the one hand, the healing of the wounds is picturing Israel like Isaiah does in Isaiah 1, as from head to toe, sick and bruised and wounded. All right. So on the one hand, it's metaphorical, right? It's speaking of Israel as a sick body, as God is depicting Israel sick in every way. But, but please hear me, it includes physical restoration. When God says, I'm going to heal your wounds, he doesn't just mean I'm going to bring you back from exile. I'm going to regather you. I'm going to restore your families. There's going to be marriage. There's going to be children. They're going to be dancing and singing in the streets. Oh, and by the way, you'll all be sickly and dying of disease. No, no, no. That would be completely contradictory to the holistic understanding of healing and health in the Hebrew scriptures. It's the inner being and the outer being. Now, do I have time to get into it? Now, I'm going to open up something about Isaiah 53 and Matthew 8 in the New Testament in a moment. But let me also tell you what I discovered about the Hebrew root Rapha. And again, if you want to find out more, you can listen to my teaching series, Israel's Divine Healer. It's available in our bookstore at AskDrBrown.org. And then with that, my book, Israel's Divine Healer, if you really want to dig and study in an academic way. But what I discovered about the Hebrew root Rafa, and it's been widely received by, by other scholars and, and even dictionaries and things like that, is, is that the fundamental meaning is restore, make whole. Out of that come meanings like healing of a body, repairing of an altar, putting together a bro- broken piece of pottery, making wholesome, undrinkable waters, repairing the fissures of the earth after an earthquake. 
In each of these cases, Psalm 60, say, with the earthquake, 2 Kings 2, with the water being made wholesome, or Ezekiel 47, with water undrinkable, salt water being made wholesome, repairing of an altar, 1 Kings 18, repairing of a broken piece of pottery, Jeremiah 19, or even the removal of the severe skin condition we call leprosy, uh, although that's not exactly what it was in Leviticus 13, or the removal of mildew in Leviticus 14, so the remission of these things, the word used is rafa. So when God says, I'm the Lord, you're a healer, it, it is not only limited to physical disease. It is physical disease and even more, even more with it, national restoration and protection and deliverance. So here's my question. If under the old covenant, sickness was a curse and healing was a blessing, under a new and better covenant, has that been reversed? Can I ask it again? If under the old covenant, sickness was a curse and healing was a blessing, has it now been reversed under the new and better covenant that healing is a curse? Sickness is a blessing? All right, we'll get into the New Testament when we come back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. What does the Bible say about divine healing? That is our focus. That is our subject today. And I want to let everyone know, those just joining us at different parts of the broadcast, there will be a, an entire video, a close to an hour long it will be on our YouTube channel and on the Ask Dr. Brown website as moments after this show airs that you'll be able to watch it in full, take notes, go back through it. And I strongly encourage you to do that. Why I believe divine healing is for today. If we summarize the evidence of the Old Testament, we see that sickness in itself was negative and healing and health positive. Right? It's common sense as well. When you find out that someone in your family is having a baby. You say, oh, good, I hope that baby is sickly, and I, and I hope the mother is sickly. And No, no, you say, Lord, bless them with health and, and wells. We know, again, that people love the Lord and have handicapped children. People love the Lord and die prematurely. We understand that, but we know that in our heart of hearts that sickness in and of itself, in and of itself is not a good thing. It's something functioning wrong in this amazing body God made for us, whereas healing and health in and of themselves are good things. We also know that under the Sinai covenant, God revealed himself as Israel's healer and said if the nation would obey him, he would take sickness out of their midst. And if they would disobey him, he'd bring severe curses on them, which included terrible sickness and illness. And we know that the psalmist praised God for healing all his diseases, along with forgiving all his sins. We know that Proverbs taught that the ways of wisdom are ways of healing and health and life. We know the prophets look forward to the day when the whole person would be wholly healed. And now Jesus comes into the world. Now, now I want you to think of this. <clears throat> he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yes? He says, John 14, for example. He says, I can only do what I see my Father doing. John 5. Does he go around making people sick or healing? Ah, because there's some people say, well, God's just making people sick all the time. That's, you know, all, all day long, he's making different people sick. All right, well, here's my question. If Jesus could only do what he saw the Father doing, he, Jesus certainly warned hypocrites. 
Jesus certainly warned of coming judgment. Jesus cursed a fig tree. So Jesus participated in acts of judgment, but he didn't go around making people sick, did he? No, he went around making people well. All who came to him were healed. And he says, I can only do what I see my father doing. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Oh, oh, there's more. There is much, much, much more. Now let's think of this, all right? Let's think of this in the ministry of Jesus for a minute. He's moved by compassion to heal. There are times when he is moved by compassion. For example, Luke 7, when he raises from the dead the widow's son, her only son, raised him from the dead, he's moved by compassion. Matthew 14 tells us he's moved by compassion and healed the sick. That compassion reflects the very nature of God. If there's one reason God heals the sick, it's compassion. It's compassion. And you know, your heart as a father, as a mother, as a parent that you do anything to see your child well, that love reflects the love of God and the concern of God. Let's go further. Jesus begins his ministry, Luke 4, quoting from Isaiah 61, says the Spirit of the Lord is on him because he's, he's been anointed by the Spirit to preach and to, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And what does is, what is Acts, the 10th chapter, tell us is, as Peter is explaining to Cornelius about Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Now, here's what's also interesting in the Gospels. You start studying, go to Matthew, the fourth chapter, beginning verse 23, but many, 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 many other instances in the Gospels. Healing the sick and driving out demons go side by side. Healing the sick and driving out demons go side by side. Why? Because both were looked at as oppressive, negative, destructive conditions. And therefore, as Jesus goes about in his ministry, he's driving out demons, he's healing the sick. That's why, for example, Mark 6, beginning verse 12, when Jesus sends his disciples out, right, he anoints them, and he sends them out to drive out demons and heal the sick. That's why Luke 9, 1, Matthew 10, 1, these verses tell us that when Jesus sent out the 12, that he gave them authority over demons and disease, These are classified together. We must understand how they're looked at scripturally. In that sense, sickness in and of itself is an enemy. Can you grow while being sick? Yes. Maybe it was when you were sick, you came back to the Lord. God's a redeemer. He uses all kinds of things. Look, people get in a terrible car accident and almost get killed and they're paralyzed. And then they wake up to their folly. They were drinking and driving. They get sober. They come to the Lord. But, But the car accident itself was a bad thing and the paralysis itself is a bad thing. But God worked through them, just like the drunkenness was a bad thing, to bring good out of it, right? So demons and disease are put in the same category. And that's why there are times when a demon is driven out of someone and then they're healed. They could speak, they could hear. Or Luke 13, the woman who's been crippled for 18 years, what does Jesus say? She's been bound by a spirit. Satan has bound her. I'm not saying every sickness is specifically demonically related, but they're both in the class of something bad, something wrong, something destructive that Jesus came to drive out and to heal. Oh, but there's more. There's more. I mean, this is just amazing. In my teaching series, Israel's Divine Healer, and then in my book, Israel's Divine Healer, I, I get into the New Testament data. Even though I focus on the old, I get into the New Testament data because that's the climax. That's where things break out amazingly. Now, think of this, the kingdom of God. Jesus says, for example, in, in Matthew 12 and Luke 11, if, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. What's it say in Matthew 10, 7 and 8? Jesus commissions his disciples to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom and then to do what? 
to, to preach repentance and to drive out demons, right? Drive out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, to proclaim the kingdom of God's come to you. Luke 9, proclaim the kingdom of God has come and then heal the sick. Luke 10, heal the sick and say the kingdom of God has come. As the kingdom of God advances forward, light drives out darkness. Life drives out death. Healing drives out sickness. The power of God drives out demons. That's what happens as the kingdom of God advances. It's, it's wonderful. It's glorious. It's amazing. Now, John 14, Jesus talking to his disciples, but using universal language, he says, whoever believes in me, it's universal. You, you have it throughout the gospel of John. It always means whoever. It always means everybody. Whoever believes in me, the works that I do will he do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Now, now think of this. He's going to the Father, which means he can intercede for us in heaven, but he's going to the Father, which means he will send his Spirit. And when he sends his Spirit, amazingly and gloriously, we can now do what he did. It's it. Wow, it's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus working through us, the Holy Spirit working through us. You say, well, there's debate about the greater works. All right, let's not debate the greater works. Same works. Same works. We believe should be doing the same things Jesus did. You say, well, do you walk on the water? Well, I don't see any disciples walked on the water either. Now, in other words, in context, he was talking about his miraculous works and deeds. So what do we see in the book of Acts? We see the apostles now doing the same things. And, and healing and miracles are taking place. We see it over and over and over. And not only so, Jesus says in Luke 24, 49 and Acts 1, 8 that we will receive dunamis from on high. Now, dunamis can just mean power generically and strength generically, but it is frequently used in Luke and Acts in particular for God's miracle-working power. So, for example, in Luke 1, it's by the dunamis of the Spirit that Yeshua will be born to Miriam. And, and in, Luke, in Luke 4 and, and 5, it's the dunamis of the Spirit's on him. He, he, he comes out of, of the wilderness with the dunamis of the Spirit. In Luke 5, 17, the dunamis of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. And, and, and then you have it over and again. You have it in Luke 6, that dunamis is coming out of him. And, 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 and people are being healed because of it. It is God's miraculous power. And then you see the same thing in the book of Acts. In Acts 4, 33, I believe, that with great power, with great dunamis, the apostles bore witness to the resurrection of Jesus. How did they bear witness? By doing the same works he did, the same healing, the same miracles. And that helped everyone to understand he's risen from the dead. And it wasn't just the apostles. It was people like Philip waiting on tables and helping out that he's driving out demons. Many paralytics are healed. In Acts the 8th chapter, and in fact, the longer ending of Mark, most scholars don't believe it's the original ending of Mark. Some do, and I understand those who are King James adherents would absolutely say it's, it's the original ending of Mark. I believe it is not the original ending of Mark, but an inspired ending God has given us. But that can be debated. What it says there that those who believe will drive out demons, will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, that's certainly what happens elsewhere, regardless of what you do with the longer ending of Mark. That is certainly what now happens in the book of Acts. Now, when we get into the letters, Paul talks at length to the Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit. In the first chapter, in the seventh verse, he commends them for not lacking any spiritual gift. And then in the twelfth chapter, he teaches them about these spiritual gifts, which include gifts of healing and miracles. That's included. And why gifts of healing, plural, everything else is singular. Different, different ideas. 
One is that there were different types of healing, that someone was gifted with the ministry of, of, of healing blind and others healing deaf or other things like that. Again, it's debated, but we know it says gifts, plural. And, and then there's not a hint anywhere in, in Corinthians that the gifts cease. To the contrary, we expect them until Jesus returns. At that time, the return of Jesus, 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, then we'll see face to face. Then we'll know God the way we're known. Do, do we see God face to face now? No. Do we know God perfectly the way we're known? No. Do, do we still have partial knowledge or do we have perfect knowledge of everything and perfect understanding? If we had perfect knowledge, perfect understanding, we'd be having a debate. I wouldn't be having to explain divine healing. We wouldn't have differences over it. No, that happens when Jesus returns. You said, I've heard that taught. That means the completion of the canon of scripture. When the canon's complete, we don't need the gifts. That is a teaching virtually unknown through church history. That is a teaching held to by only the tiniest minority of theologians and scholars. And it has zero academic basis in the text, and the text is completely against it in many, many other ways. But not only so, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 tells us to earnestly seek the gifts, especially prophecy, not to forbid tongues. And then we know in church history, through the centuries, healing continued, miracles continued. Fourth century, Augustine didn't believe in it anymore. He was writing City of God. He didn't believe in divine healing anymore. And then in a couple-year period, they documented over 70 healings, and he changed his theology. Should have just stayed with the word, but I commend him for changing his theology. If he had stayed with the word, he would have believed it all along. And then we get to Jacob, James, the fifth chapter. And what's it say? Is, is anybody, you know, sad, sing hymns, right? And do what? Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the congregation and they'll pray over him. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. So you anoint him in oil, pray in faith. It doesn't say the oil. But it says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. If he's forget, forget, committed sins, the Lord will forgive him. The Lord will raise him up, right? This is a result of prayer offered in faith. So we are told to pray for the sick. And if I'm praying in faith, I'm expecting God to heal the sick. And we should regularly see the sick healed and raised up. And there's nowhere, there's nowhere. It's not a syllable, it's not a verse, nothing, zero. Anywhere that says it's going to stop before Jesus returns. Everything else telling us to expect this. In fact, Peter telling us specifically that the outpouring of the Spirit is for the last days, Acts the second chapter, the last days in which we live right now. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, this is a special broadcast today of the Line of Fire. I've not taken a call, no Facebook comments, no YouTube comments. I'm interacting with whatever breaking news is happening as I speak. We're ignoring, and we're just going through the Bible and asking what it says about divine healing. In short, everything I see in Scripture says healing is a gift from God, healing and health, gifts from God, good things, sickness, disease, in and of themselves, bad things. God reveals himself as the healer. The only time he reveals himself in the Bible as the one who smites is in judgment, not in blessing. He never in the Bible smites a godly person with sickness and disease as blessing. And in the book of Job, he initiates a dialogue with Satan. Satan maliciously turns it against Job, which obviously God knew was going to happen, and allows Satan to touch him. But God himself won't lay a finger on him because it would not be righteous for God to do that. And then ultimately, God restores Job. God blesses him with health and blessing the rest of his life after that. And Job is a lesson to all of us that sometimes inexplicable things happen to godly people. 
Like, why is Johnny Erickson not healed and things like that? Sometimes inexplicable things happen to God's people. Nonetheless, we worship him, we praise him, but don't do what the friends of Job did and look at Job and said, you must have been a foul sinner. That's why all this bad stuff happened. You wouldn't be sick. Kids wouldn't be sick. You wouldn't die if you weren't a bad sinner. No, no, don't do what the friends did. But then don't do what Job did. Well, God, you're a monster. You destroy people. No, no. The friends wrongly changed their views of Job. Job wrongly changed his view of God. Both were mistaken. Got it? All right, so let's take a look at an important passage. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. It is after the Sabbath, and the sick are brought to Jesus. And it says that he healed the sick, and he drove out spirits, the demons, with a word. Remember... Throughout the Gospels, even in Acts, sickness, disease, demons are closely related. Driving out demons, healing the sick, they go hand in hand. So, here's what we see. We see there that Matthew then quotes, Matthew 8, 17, this was done to fulfill what was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our sicknesses and carried our diseases. And Matthew, from what we could tell, made his own translation from the Greek because we do not have any extant ancient Greek translation that translates it the way that he did. That's, that's one that, that Matthew would have had available in his day. And two, the Targum, the Aramaic translation slash paraphrase, makes it metaphorical and spiritual. So Matthew is translating it literally. Surely he's borne our sicknesses and carried our pains, our diseases. He's, he's translating it literally from the Hebrew. So you understand it's talking about a literal bearing of sickness and disease. Now, I remember many years ago reading in the MacArthur Study Bible that this is the application. Isaiah 53 does talk about healing the sick, Jesus carrying our sicknesses and our pains, Right that he did during his earthly ministry. And then he died on the cross for our sins, two separate things. So in other words, he did not die for our physical healing, and healing is not in any sense included in the atonement. Rather, he carried our sicknesses and pains in his earthly ministry. Surely he's borne our sicknesses and carried our pains when, Matthew tells us, when he healed the sick during his earthly ministry, right? And now later... All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. A couple of verses later in Isaiah, that's what he died on the cross. So physical healing is not related to the cross. And it it read very well. I mean, I read it. I thought that reads very nicely. And the MacArthur Study Bible is a very valuable tool. I'm sure if I went through all of it, I'd be enriched and learn tons of things from Pastor MacArthur. Absolutely. No question about it. There's a problem, though, with that. Let me explain. When does Matthew say Jesus took our sicknesses, carried our pains? Well, during the healing ministry of Jesus. Okay. When does Isaiah say Matthew, that, that Jesus took our sicknesses and carried our pains? Ah, th- think of it. Here's what it says. He was despised, right? He was stricken. He was smitten. He was afflicted, and we wouldn't look at him. When was he smitten and stricken and afflicted? When? When he hung on the cross. Yes. When did we think he's suffering for his sins rather than ours? When he hung on the cross. So this is what Matthew says. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. But we, we thought he was dying for his sins. 
we thought he was being bruised because of his iniquities. No, he's being bruised because of our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. When's he talking about? On the cross. Isaiah is telling us that when Jesus hung on the cross, that's when he was carrying our sicknesses and our pains and our diseases. That's when. And by his wounds, we're healed. It doesn't only mean spiritually. And first and foremost, yes, healing of our souls, restoration. First Peter 2 quotes it in that regard. By his wounds, you've been healed, talking about being saved. But, but please hear me. It's not limited. The prophetic vision was never limited to spiritual alone. It was spiritual, physical. It was holistic. The God who smote was God who would heal. So what, what is being taught there? What's being said there? You say, but whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on. You're telling me Isaiah was talking about what happened on the cross. We thought he was dying for his sins. We thought he was carrying his pains. No, he was dying for our sins, carrying our pains. That was on the cross. Correct. Matthew's quoting it with regard to the healing ministry of Jesus. Ah, let me explain this to you. This was an insight I got just just studying scripture on my own intensively, digging into the word uh, in in the 80s and 90s. Then I went to then my favorite Matthew commentary, which was D.A. Carson. And lo and behold, he basically said the same thing I was saying. I went to my favorite Isaiah commentary at that time, Franz Dalich. Lo and behold, he basically said the same thing I was saying, which is this. The whole ministry of Jesus, in a certain sense, is substitutionary. Now, without him dying on the cross, there's no salvation. Salvation flows from the cross. Salvation flows from the blood, period. We understand that. But his whole ministry, he enters into our world and takes our pain on his shoulders. Takes our sickness, our disease on his shoulders. Does he literally become sick? No. Does he literally have pain? No, unless it was grief and pain of heart for us. But he he takes those things on him. He enters into our world. He agonizes with us. He lives with us. He spends hours and hours ministering to the sick, to the oppressed. Listen, I have been sometimes uh, in, in hospitals with people with real deformities and, and severe conditions. And it's as rough being in the midst of it and ministering and having an attitude of faith. And you see so much suffering and pain around you. And then sometimes going to mental institutions where people are suffering terribly and, and you're in all kinds of environments. And, and you think, well, this, this is not a glorious ministry. But Jesus spent hours and hours and hours with the sick and the oppressed and the struggling. And he entered into our world and took our pain and sickness on his shoulders. And then he died on the cross. That's, that's it. That is the central thing. He died on the cross for our sins. He paid for our sins. The righteous taking on what the unrighteous did that we could become righteous. All right. He took that on his shoulders. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live to righteousness by his wounds. You've been healed. First Peter two by die. So picture this as a, as a, 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 the letter V. All right. Now one side, he enters into our world. And he takes on himself our sin, our pain, our shame, our sickness, our disease. He lives among us. He, he bears our weakness until he goes to the root of it all, sin, and dies on the cross for our sin. And now, because he died on the cross for our sin, because sin is the root problem, out of that, first and foremost, what do we get? The automatic thing? What? Forgiveness, right? Forgiveness, eternal life, right relationship with God as we come to the cross through three. And now what comes out of it? Healing and wholeness for the whole person. Some in this world, the rest in the world to come. How many of you were mentally oppressed when you got saved, you got set free? 
How many of you were bound by all kinds of addictions and you got set free? How many of you had sicknesses and diseases that had plagued you and after you got saved, you got set free? This is some of the fruit of the cross. In that sense, I say healing is in the atonement because Jesus died for our sins. And out of that, healing flows to the whole man. And that's why we pray for the sick, believing by default, this is the will of God. When I pray for the sick, I don't say, Lord, if it be your will, heal. I believe he's revealed it as his loving will for his people. Therefore, I ask him, Father, heal. And there are times when by the authority of the Spirit, we take authority over sickness, authority over disease, as Jesus did, as the, as the apostles did, as the disciples did, and we see results come. I, re- I remember, I don't have the gift of healing, and I'm not primarily called to healing, although I want to see more and more people healed for the glory of God, that of compassion for their suffering. But I remember I was in, I was in Rochester, New York, and a, an older woman came up. I mean, I remember as being 70 or 80. I was much younger then, but she's definitely an older woman. And she had cancer. She had a tumor, and she was going in for surgery later that week to have it removed. And I remember I felt the authority of the Lord come on me as I prayed. And the power of God visibly touched her. And she said afterwards, I felt something move inside of me. She went for the surgery, and they opened her up, and the tumor was gone. It was 100% gone. That's the power of God working. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is working us today. Now, look, if I never see a person healed, I still believe in healing. Do you understand that? If I never see some of the miracles that are recorded in the Bible in front of my eyes, I believe that God's promised many of these things to us today. And here's my encouragement. No matter what your condition, no matter where you are, if you humble yourself before the Lord and honor him, he's for you, not against you. And in the midst of sickness, pain, he's with you, he's working, he's loving on you, he's showing you his goodness and his grace. And even in sickness and pain, you can experience his goodness, his grace, his blessing. You can grow, you can be godly, you can be closer to God than the healthiest person on the planet. But let's believe together for healing. Let's believe together for miracles. It's an expression of the will of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is the heart of God. Look at the ministry of Jesus. That's the heart of God for today in so many essential ways. Remember, a whole teaching series, 16, no, 16 lectures, 24 hours at the Ask Dr. Brown website, Israel's Divine Healer. I hope this has blessed you.